Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to the Minds of Media. My name is Blake Panashevitz, and today's guest is the head coach of Mad Lines, having recently made their return from the League of Legends play-ins. Please let me introduce James McCormick, maybe better known as Mac. Welcome to the show, buddy. Hiya, how you doing? Good, I'm good. I'm happy to have you uh, on the show. This is going to be a little bit different. Uh, I'm excited to get you here. Um, there was a, I, I didn't want to be like, oh, having a have, after having a great return from the, the world. <laughs> like, it feels so disingenuous. Return. Yeah, like, this, <laughs> like, I didn't, like, it's still an accomplishment, right? Like, that, that is something. Hey, is we this, made history. Yeah, it, it's still an accomplishment, but it's definitely not a... It's not one where you, it's like bittersweet. It's super bittersweet. It's not the accomplishment yeah. that you were hoping for. Yeah, it's not like, I don't think there's any way you make it to Worlds and then get like knocked out and you're thinking, wow, we did such a great job. I'm happy with how everything went. Like there's moments, like there's little moments, yeah. but your overwhelming feeling is like, damn, that that was awful. Like, like that was just terrible. And yeah. I, I relate to that. Um, I relate to that a lot. So um, I'm excited to delve in. It's, uh, hopefully, we're not going to ask you a ton of similar questions. We were kind of talking that before. You've been asked before. You've been doing uh, some interviews recently. Um, but we're going to start it off getting to kind of know who is James. Like, what makes you the person you are? And I want to start it off uh, pretty simply. Um, so, you are from the UK, right? I have that right. Correct. One, of, one of the things we were talking about before is that you really like spicy food. Now, as far as I know... Okay, the UK isn't widely known for their good food choices. Okay, you basically have beef <laughs> Wellington. Uh, it's anything related to like pastries. I feel like that's all you guys really have in the UK. So how does one go from uh, the UK, which is, I would say, arguably boring, kind of boring food to <laughs> liking this very exotic spice food? The UK is like the, the culinary equivalent of the NALCS, you know, we just import everything, but we're still kind of bad at the end of the day. <laughs> that's um, <laughs> Yeah. That's uh, beef Wellington that, is good. You know beef Wellington is very good. English breakfast tea is a mix of uh, Kenyan, Indian, and uh, Chinese teas. That says everything you need to know about English. Really? Uh, I mean, I guess... Yeah, I mean, I mean it's, it's just all the countries that we went and invaded and yeah. took all their stuff. Yeah. Anything it's just a mix of all of them. I mean, one of the things you guys are kind of known for is uh, like your breakfast, which I will say is one of the, like, it's supposed to like <laughs> beans, uh, sausages, eggs. And I'm just thinking, this is just, this sounds like a very stereotypical, I'm going to make it like, why is this there? Like, if your highlight is uh, English breakfast, I don't know, man. Like, like that's, you got beans and eggs and sausage. So how, how did you start to explore spice and think, you know what I want to do? I want to, I want to not be boring. Um... I've I've always done a lot of traveling uh, since I was a kid. I've been I was lucky enough to have parents who were really really invested in having giving us like a kind of really solid culinary education. Um, so we traveled all around Europe, but I never went to like Asia or, or super far afield. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, it wasn't until I hit about how old was I? About twenty years old that I started eating spicy food. Um, I met my then girlfriend, now fiance, Mary, who is half Thai, um, and Thai food is very, very spicy. Um, and she really put me onto all of this other spicy food, mostly Asian food, mm -hmm. uh, which I now love. Um, it was funny because I'm the only one in my family that can now. My my mum literally will eat like a salad and be like, "Oof, this rocket! Oof, that's spicy!" <laughs> like. <laughs> Uh, or like, oh, this is very peppery, you know? Um, so, <laughs> um, so yeah, we're both uh, spice heads now. Um, coming back from Shanghai, that was actually like, honestly, my, my biggest highlight of Shanghai was uh, we found a shopping mall with like an underground um, 
uh, street food market. Mm-hmm. And, and I, I just went around ordering like literally all of the spicy things. I could and just walked around like eating everything, which was the place where Kazi and I got interviewed and, and had to sing a song, which was uh, <laughs> pretty that's, funny. That's amazing. So, well, first of all, congratulations on uh, being engaged. Uh, that's, a, that's a wonderful thing. Uh, you don't see that a lot in like esports. Like, I mean, it's starting to kind of get better now that esports is older, but every time I see it, it just makes my heart flutter a little bit. Cause I know like me and my girlfriend have been together six years now. We actually just had our six year anniversary. So congratulations. Uh, I'm still not engaged though. So <laughs> we're working on that. That's, that's a time thing, but congratulations. It's an amazing thing. You mentioned that she's from uh, Thailand. Have you ever, or uh, she's Thai. Have you ever been to Thailand? Uh, we were planning to go this year in November, oh. and that's, oh. yeah, that that went about as well as you could expect, given the whole pandemic thing. Interesting enough, Thailand's doing a great job with the pandemic, though. They're smurfing. Thailand, Vietnam, and China are actually seemingly yeah. the, the best equipped countries right now. Yeah, I mean, Korea also did fairly well. Oh, yeah, like, Korea, of course. Korea yeah, did Korea. really, really well. Um, and then I live in the United States, which is uh, <laughs> not going to talk about it. Uh, we got it's, Corona. We got Brexit over here. We got yeah, everything. Like, yeah, uh, <laughs> it's like we're the same country. Like, right? Except for you're on like a much smaller. Uh, just, I, I like to think of us as budget NA. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's <laughs> budget NA. God, that's it's such a weird, weird world we live in right now. That like you look two years ago and you look at like today and how literally everything has changed, right? Like, like everything from like. The way politics are kind of being looked at and it's just it feels like everything is like ramping up and just getting worse um, and it's terrifying and i'm like where is the break point now where do we get the the break point i can't imagine that you're someone who gets to spend a lot of time like you're you're really busy uh, i mean now you're not as busy but busy in different ways um how does it dealing with the fact that you have this stress from a, an insanely high stress job and the stress of the world literally crumbling around you. <laughs> I, mean, I don't know if there's any better way to put it than that. I mean, this year's been hard. Um, so I got back to Cambridge, which is where I live in the UK with uh, with Mary, on the 6th of October. Mm-hmm. And before the 6th of October this year, we had spent a total of something like four or five weeks together um, because like Corona just kicked yeah. off basically as soon as, as soon as uh, we got halfway through the spring split and then it became really, really, really hard to even mm-hmm. go and see each other. I managed to spend three weeks uh, between spring and summer in the UK. I was lucky enough to be able to come back. So a lot of our players didn't manage to actually. Yeah. Um, my, uh, our performance manager, my good friend, Jake drove us all the way back from Germany to the UK so that we could both go and see our significant others. God bless him. Um, and fortunately, we were able to actually spend some time together. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it's been, it's been really hard. Um, this year specifically, in general, it's fine. You know, normally we have a, um, like Mary and I are pretty used to it. We've been doing the whole long distance thing for, what, three years now? Yeah. Yeah, three years I've been in the LEC. Um, so we're kind of used to it by now. And we're happy to go on on this basis, you know, traveling a lot and taking breaks and coming to see each other, going back yeah. and forth, whatever. Um but I think next year is going to be harder. So we're actually looking into moving to to Berlin together because we decided that it's just uh, it's really hard to to carry on going like this. Um, so yeah, it's it's definitely been a difficult year. Mm-hmm. So you mentioned that you you grew up in the UK and that your parents uh, like to give you a <coughs> culinary uh, experience. What did your parents do for a living growing up? So my parents owned a building subcontracting company, i.e., they go and get 
building work and then go and find people to do the work. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, building company, um, for the most of my childhood, um, uh, until, until I was about 17 when, uh, there was a big recession that hit the UK. Um, and generally speaking, uh, like skilled tradesmen and building companies and things like that are one of the first things to go yeah. during recessions. Um, so the company ended up going under and they retired from there. So right now they're living out their retirement in, in relative peace. Um, but yeah, so yeah, we were really fortunate enough that they were kind of their own bosses, you know? Mm-hmm. So, um, they were able to be able to kind of organize taking us on to, you know, all across Europe, really. I think I've been to most of the European countries as well as a few, you know, North mm-hmm. America, South Africa, um, places like that. How many siblings do you have? Uh, I have one elder sibling from my parents' marriage, uh, and I have a half-sister from my mother's first marriage who is uh, 20-something years older than me. Oh, wow, that's a lot. 20, I think 22 years older than me, I believe. Um, so, yeah, she's... Uh, yeah, from my mother's first marriage. Um, but yeah, so two siblings. Okay, nice. Do you get along with your siblings? What's your relationship like with them? Yeah, good, good. Um, my sister growing up, my, you know, kind of immediate sister yeah. and I, because she, we didn't grow up in the same house as my elder sibling. She'd yeah. already grown up and married and moved on by then. Um, so we fought like cats and dogs growing up, um, as siblings tend to. I was the, uh, she's three and a half years older than me. Okay. Um, Oh, you were the younger the, sibling. Oh, yeah, God. I'm the youngest. Yeah, you were I'm the, the problem. Youngest. It wasn't her. It was. It I'm, was just. It was the younger sibling. Hundred percent. I I'm, as an uh, older sibling, it was. It was definitely. It was definitely. Yeah, you were the problem. Absolutely. I, I'm very much the golden child in my family. Funnily enough, really. Um, being being the youngest, yeah. Um, I'm definitely a mummy's boy. Um, so yeah, dur- during our childhood, I would I was always kind of uh, running around, following her, wanting to be involved in all her stuff, and wanting to you know play with her older, cooler friends. And she would be like, "Please leave me alone, please yeah. leave me alone." Type <laughs> that kind of relationship. Um, but yeah, we get on really well now. Um, she is an artist. Really? Um, yeah, she um, runs a business of her own, a quite successful business of her own called London Drawing Group. Um, which does uh, life drawing, art classes, tours of museums, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, go check them out on Facebook. They're really great. My sister's a wonderful talker and very, very, very uh, interesting and academically minded person. So London Drawing Group, if you want to some uh, artistic education, head that's over. That's awesome. That's, no, that's, that's really cool. Now, it seems that you and your sister are both really successful. Did your parents kind of instill this? Because, I mean, your parents being their own business owners, I think offers a set of skills that we don't really teach most people, uh, which is how to be like self-sufficient and do this stuff. At least in the United States, we don't. Like basically you're taught, you need to go to college and then work for someone else. That's like how you basically live. But running your own business, which I have also done, is a completely vastly different set of skills that most people I don't think get to learn. Were you taught a lot of those skills growing up? Uh, It's funny because I was always really interested in the business side of things. And my sister is like the classical uh, very romantic, very, very anti-capitalist artist who hates the idea of, you know, actually charging anyone for anything and mm-hmm. selling her work and things like this. Um, so we grew up very much on, on kind of different ends of the spectrum when it came to that. Um, but we're both very self-motivated, driven people, I think mm-hmm. more than anything. Um, I'm really interested in, in business. I studied a lot of business when I was younger. Um, and I actually kind of saw myself going into my parents' business when I was younger. 
um, eventually I figured that that would be an option, but that never really interested my sister. So we grew up quite, quite differently in that regard, but certainly my parents have been a really big inspiration to me and in that they are some of the most in- insanely hardworking people mm-hmm. um, I've, I've ever met. You know, my, my parents managed to run a, an incredibly successful company for my entire childhood and also still, you know, have hobbies, have friends, like do everything around the house, be home in time every night to eat dinner with us and cook like a homemade meal for us and like um, always make sure that we had you know, spent enough time with them and had access to whatever it was, was that we wanted and provided for us. Like my parents were a huge inspiration to me in that regard. And uh, especially their relationship actually is something that I've kind of based a lot of my my relationship with Mary on is that they're, they're really a team with like everything, you know, they're 50-50 on literally everything. Um, the, the number of arguments that I've, like real serious arguments yeah. that I've seen my parents have in my lifetime, I can count on one hand, like literally, I, I think I remember one or two in my life. Um, so yeah, that's, that's a big, uh, a big source of inspiration to me. I want to take a slight side tangent. Cause I think it's an important topic to kind of talk about. Cause we, I think it was a lot worse many years ago about like relationships and esports, um, where people were like, Oh, you can never have these, which I think is vastly false. Um, I think you need to have healthy relationships, which is exactly what you kind of described there, which is a, a foreign concept to most, I feel like, relationships maybe because they, a lot of them are bad. Um, what do you think makes your relationship so successful that you're able to, like maybe some of the skills that you brought in from your parents or what are some of the things that make it so you can you can work this high demanding job and still successfully have a relationship? Um, that's a really good question. I mean, so Mary and I have known each other since we were like 14. We we grew up together um, from school and uh, we didn't like get together seriously until until we were 19, 20. Wait. Yeah, 20. Um, so yeah, r- roughly five years ago. Um, I think the biggest thing is actually communication. Um, as Part, part of my role as a coach and part of the skill set that I have is being kind of a, a, a listener. Um, and I'm actually a person that really hates conflict. And yeah. that's, that expresses itself in a, in a big way in my personality. Uh, even when it comes to my, my work, I really hate conflict. And it's something I have to push against when like to actually go and bring problems up and be like, uh, we need to fix this. This is a problem uh, because I just hate conflict so much. Um Whereas Mary, on the other hand, is is actually fantastic at communicating exactly what it is that she needs and what is wrong, and um, you know what what could be better. Uh, and I think she's really, really amazing at always pushing forward to say, "How can I be better? How can our relationship be better? How can we do whatever it is better?" Um, and that's the biggest thing, actually, is is communication. Yeah, I think that's super important to a relationship, and I think it's high. I think actually all relationships, like whether or not you're talking about friends or you're talking about coworkers, I actually think communication is probably one of the most important skills, if not the most important skill you could probably like ever have, to be honest, um, to make anything kind of successful. So, looking at uh, growing up, what kind of what kind of kid were you in school? Um, obviously, you're really big into video games now, which is kind of obvious. Um, I imagine that you were big into video games growing up. Right. Like- yeah. Yeah. Since uh, first video game was, I think I was five years old. PlayStation One, Spyro the Dragon, okay, or Croc, or there was a Mickey Mouse game as well, like a, a like a two D platformer Mickey mm-hmm. Mouse game, which I remember playing, like the Steamboat Willie episode with my sister. Um, so yeah, um, 
definitely really big into games as a kid. From then, it was like RuneScape and Warcraft yeah. 3 and Age of Empires and all these types of games until eventually World of Warcraft and League of Legends kind of took over my life. <laughs> I, re- I, re- I, re- I remember when League of Legends took over my life. It was a, it was a wonderful and terrible experience all at the same time. Looking at school, though, um, how are you in school? What kind of what kind of kid were you in school? Um, I had a lot of problems at school. Really? Um, yeah, for sure, for sure. Uh, so from my kind of primary school, which you normally go to from age five to age like 14, roughly, yeah. um, I moved out of there when I was 11 because I, I really struggled making friends with a lot of the kids there. It was a relatively small school. There were only 40 kids in a year, mm-hmm. um, like 20 in each class, so two classes. Uh, and I really didn't like many of the kids in in my class. There were some kids that like kind of bullied me and uh, I ended up moving out of that school because I just couldn't deal with it. I was a really angry kid. Um, really? But funnily enough, a lot of the skills that I uh, have made my career on now are skills that I lacked to an unbelievable extent as a child. Like I was an when awful When you say angry, kid. like what, what kind of things are we talking about here? Like lots of fighting, uh, throwing things? Like uh, what? I was a really terrible communicator and I didn't understand how to make people stop doing things that I didn't want them to do. Um, and some there were kids that realized this and would come and like follow me around and poke me and, and do yeah. whatever, like sing stupid songs, like ad infinitum for like an entire day or really silly things like this because they knew I would react. Mm-hmm. Um, and when I reacted, I reacted really violently. <laughs> and I, I definitely got into fights and um, yeah, I was, I was a very, uh, very volatile kid, actually quite tempestuous. Um, so I ended up moving from, from my primary school when I was 11 and going to a different school um, and that went really well for a time until I was about 14. And then it, it kind of same deal started happening. Um, I went, I went to quite a vicious school, actually. It was like a private school, only boys. Oh, uh, wow. kids boarded there. Um, and it, on, it has a weird reputation. So I, I, I went to a town called Bedford. Uh, like that was my closest, uh, closest town growing up. And I went mm-hmm. to a Bedford school, um, and Bedford, they were like, eight schools it's like a it's a big schooling town there are like four private schools and four major and then even a bunch of more kind of um other like state schools state-run schools um and yeah it, within that town bedford school has like this reputation of being really vicious like there's a really strong uh social hierarchy there wow. i guess um where all, all the kids at least in my year i don't know it, maybe it's different now but all the kids kind of uh everyone had a place you know, and you you were very strongly encouraged socially to know your place. And if you stepped out of line, uh, woe betide you. So it was a very, uh, I didn't occupy a very high position on the social ladder, uh, to, <laughs> to, to put it bluntly. I can relate um, to that. Yeah, especially uh, being a big, big, big into gaming. Uh, I remember people, people realized that I played World of Warcraft and that was a real stigma. Uh, in my school, it was a real source of like, wow, what a loser. Yeah. Um, so... I mean, I was strange in that I was a very happy child and very outgoing and very loud in a lot of ways, um, but also didn't actually have that many close relationships with people at my school. And and if when things went badly, I'd get very like angry or very sad very quickly, um, which is funny because I'm the complete opposite of that now as a person. Uh, and I think that might possibly be linked, right? It's probably, probably to do with that is that like when I was a kid, I would lose control of my emotions. You know, I would go into rages or get really depressed or upset or whatever. And like, I ended up having fights and all sorts and like, uh, kind of, uh, interjections from the school on things that happened with other kids at my school. Um, 
and as a as an adult now i i literally never lose control of myself like i i'm i'm a very emotionally stable person um even even with silly things like drinking loads of alcohol or whatever like i never lose control and that's yeah. just kind of what I, how i am as a person now i'm always very relaxed and very calm and very in control of my own emotions uh, and i don't think i feel emotions very strongly compared to a lot of people you know i'm a very uh very calm person so it, it's funny I, like I, I definitely went through a a huge 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 kind of personality shift when i hit 18 19 years old when i went to university okay so going up to uh university and going up to there you're dealing with all of this stuff and like uh, school and stuff like that. How are you? How are you handling it? Because I think it's a very common occurrence. I know I was bullied. And it was awful um, dealing. It. How did you handle it? Uh, kind of going into your later high school years. Um, I think that's part of the reason why it it probably went on in a bad way for me is that I didn't really handle it very well at all. I just kind of like sat there and took it. And yeah. didn't really say anything and just kind of suffered in silence. And then eventually I, it would boil over and I would explode and hit someone or something, you know? Um, so going on from that, I think the reason why I had such a big personality shift at university was because I, I found I was really lucky in, in like the kind of halls of residence that I moved into, which were the university provided ones. And I just found loads of people that actually were really open and kind and quite unconditionally loving. And uh, yeah, that, that really changed me as a person. I can imagine that's a pretty big different shift on like your whole entire worldview. Now going into looking at university, right? You're getting older and you have this thought in your head that, oh, I might just join my my parents' company. And then all of a sudden, your parents' company doesn't exist anymore. Uh, was there ever a moment where you're like, oh, what do I do now? Um, so I think I'm I've been very fortunate in my life. I, I like, I'll, I'll be honest, my parents were quite well off when I was growing up, you know, mm -hmm. they're not millionaires, but they're certainly well enough, often able, yeah. well off enough to be able to provide us with anything that we, that we really like needed or wanted. And I was never deprived of any opportunities, you know, um, going to a good school, going to a good university. There was never a question that that was going to be possible for me. Um, and I think when you're in a position like that, you are like the, the benefit of having money is that you're able to then think about the things that like, think about money as if it doesn't matter. Yeah. You know? You're able to think about what would I really want to do without money being an object? Because in my mind, ever since I've grown up, money has just not been an object because it, I just assumed that I would be wealthy in the future for whatever reason, whatever I did, I would be successful at it. And that's always been an assumption that I've had since I've, since I've been very small mm -hmm. um, because of the way that our parents raised us. And because I've always had a lot of faith in myself kind of academically and intellectually. Um, so, I've always been the type of person. I remember we had like a yearbook before leaving uh, leaving school, and all these like really ambitious kids in my school wrote loads of things in it, like you know I want to have my own company and be a millionaire by this age and blah blah blah. And like <laughs> my yearbook entry is the most pathetic thing ever. It literally says like what do you want to achieve, and mine just says be happy, and that's it. I didn't write a single other word in my whole yearbook entry. <laughs> so there's all this other stuff in the yearbook, and I just I just didn't really take it seriously. But that's the truth. Like that's that's kind of all I care about. So. Um, for me, like, like life's very much a journey, right? And I'm always all about just pursuing the things that make me happy. Um, and like, I've always believed that if you do something 
well enough. It doesn't matter how stupid it is. Like it doesn't matter how ridiculously niche or unimportant it is. If you get good enough at it, someone will pay you for it and you'll be end up, end up being able to make a living. Um, so I pretty much just went to university to do the things that I enjoyed, uh, which was Spanish and philosophy, which are my two favorite subjects at school. Um, I'm really, really into languages. I'm, I'm consider myself quite a linguistic person. Uh, I love learning languages. How many languages uh, do you speak? Uh, define speak because uh, fluently. you could, I, have, you could I, hold I, a conversation oh, fluently. Uh, well, fluently to a native level, I speak English and Spanish, um, conversationally French, German, uh, Chinese, um, and very basics Thai and Japanese. Oh, uh, wow. My Thai is, is, is pretty shoddy to be honest. My, my Thai and Japanese are terrible. Like it's mostly just kind of phrasal stuff or like, you know, being like, Oh, this is tasty or ordering food at a restaurant or whatever it is. Right. Or like 10,000 random phrases that are useless because I watch loads of anime. Um, <laughs> um, but I, I, I pick up languages quite quickly. Um, so part, part of my deal in Shanghai was, uh, talking as much Chinese as I possibly could, even if I kind of embarrassed myself. So I got a lot more confidence in, in Shanghai from that, which was really nice. That's awesome. That's awesome. You know, there is some weird philosophy about be happy and then you going to be a <laughs> philosophy major. There's like some irony there of like, like maybe your entry was actually like the most philosophically correct out of everyone else's. Like everyone else's has these, these unrealistic expectations that you just go in there and be happy as some like... What what does this mean, right? Like, that's, that's I think such it's a very vague goal, though. Like, I mean, I agree. It's a terrible, it it's a now. terrible goal if you're that's actually trying point, to right, achieve. Yeah. But like, feel, like I mean, philosophy isn't known for being like, oh, we want to like narrow down these goals to necessarily <laughs> make them achievable, right? Like, I wouldn't say philosophy is uh, widely no, known for that. No, so. no, it's also not very employable, to be no. honest. I mean. <laughs> I loved my university degree in, in a lot of ways, but mostly for the experience of, of being in university and the people that I met and the experiences I had and not so much the actual academic aspect of the degree or what I came out of the degree with. Mm -hmm. um, so, yeah, I, I wouldn't say philosophy was the most useful thing. I think yeah. it's I think I really enjoyed philosophy, but actually, in a way, going to university to study it in an enforced way kind of ruined it for me anyway. So I actually didn't didn't really enjoy doing philosophy by the same I by the time I came out of university. Yeah. Spanish, on the other hand, was was great. Again, like I had problems with the uh, kind of academic aspect of it. Sometimes um, I didn't. I definitely wanted to be done with education by the time I left uni. By the time I left uni, wow. Maybe I maybe I need some more education, huh? No, you're um, talking to Americans, so uh, that's just how we talk, and it's just rubbing off on you a little bit, right? Like we just our poor English skills, uh, you know. So that gummit. <laughs> yeah, um, looking at college, and I guess maybe delving a little bit into philosophy here. You kind of paid for the experience of socializing. Right. Which is and you Pretty have much. a very, I think, unique perspective of like, hey, like when you mentioned never having to worry about money or anything like that, um, does that make you kind of look at like today's world and be like, wow, what is what is going on? Is there like do you have like certain uh, philosophical beliefs that maybe we should put more people in the situation where they have the ability to to do this? Um, I think it's very sad that so many people live for the weekend. That's, that's the main thing that, that I see in so many people is that I feel like they're not able to do the things that, that really inspire them or surround themselves with people that challenge them or live whatever life it is that, that actually would suit them the best and make them the happy because they're forced to live for the weekend, um, you know, paycheck to paycheck or whatever it is, or, or they don't have the direction to go 
and seek out what it what it actually is. And and like, I remember going to university and I'd go out to club nights sometimes. And I remember asking people like, "Hey, what do you do?" And people would be like, "Oh, I study this." But like, no, 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 no. Like, what, what do you do? Like, what, 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 what actually drives you? What do you? What wakes you up in the morning? What, what do you like? What's, what's the first thing that you think about when you wake up? You know, what, like, what do you get out of bed for? Like, what, what is it? That and I remember someone major. I know, right? Arsehole. Um, someone, someone literally responded to me once with, "I order takeout a lot," and I was just like, "Wow, that's so sad." Um, so yeah, I think. I don't know what the root of that problem is. I mean, to me, I think education should be free, and I think education is the root of it all. Yeah. Personally, even if uh, even if my experience with education was like a bit, um, I don't want to say mediocre, but a bit disappointing from my personal perspective in terms of my expectations and what it was going to be versus what it ended up being. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, I also happened to choose a course, which I don't think would have, which I don't think benefited me that much. Right. If I had gone and chosen, for example, Spanish and Mandarin as a joint honors, like I would be so happy with that in that yeah. I would have come out of university speaking another language, you know, and that would have been something that I would cherish forever. And that's something that I want my, I want for my kids. You know, I want my kids to speak five languages um, because it's such a, such an amazing skill to, to be able to have, especially a skill like a character-based language or a tonal language like Mandarin is, which just, it, it just opens your mind up to like a whole nother plane of existence when it comes to how languages can work. Like, what do you mean that that's four different words, depending on if you inflect at the end of the sentence, what do you mean? Like, um, so that's something that I, I really identify with is education. I'm all about education. I've always actually wanted to be a teacher ever since I was young. Um, funnily enough, of something. I never knew what. I, I wanted to be a martial arts teacher and then a yoga teacher and then ended up being a League of Legends teacher. I know. Um, so yeah, uh, I think that uh, education being as expensive as it is in both of our countries is absolutely disgusting. I think it's despicable. Um, and I think it's, it's amazing what, what the amount of welfare that you have in some other countries. And there are lots of arguments about why that is. But if you look at Norway or Germany, where Norway will literally like allow you to pause your career like if you have a midlife crisis, go back to university and retrain and pay your salary while you do it. Like, uh, yeah, sure. They have a small population and a lot of oil, but come on guys, we can do a bit better than 9,000 pounds a damned year for my university degree. Like, come on. Yeah. I don't even want to, you don't know how much I paid for my I mean, university I mean, America degree. America is, is oh, like, oh, oh, I, oh, if it was only 9,000 9, pounds a year, uh, I would be probably in like half as much debt. I'm not going to lie. Yeah. I mean, you guys, it's I, I don't know how that's, how that's possibly even remotely yeah. fair or just, or, or even good for developing like an, an, an economy. I have no idea uh, how that works. I don't works. know either. I don't know either, man. I also have a psychology degree, which is probably <laughs> as useless as uh, philosophy, to be honest, for most people. So, you know, I mean, it is what it is. Looking at, you mentioned like wanting to be a teacher. Do you think that you have certain, because you've always wanted to be a teacher and you, you have this different almost way of looking at life due to like languages and wanting to pick up different languages. Does it give you a unique perspective to the way that you coach? Like, do you think you coach things or fundamentally look at them in this almost like fifth dimensional way that is just so much different than <laughs> because you picked up these language skills. It's so much different than you the way you think most people tend to look at it. Ah. Uh. I'm not sure it has a big impact on on the way that I coach specifically, although I think that I do have a very different approach to coaching to a lot of people inside the League of Legends scene. Most people kind of take the League of Legends aspect over everything else, which obviously I do, right? Like I'm, I love yeah. League of Legends and I love League of Legends strategy and implementing that type of stuff. But um, 
I think I've, I've always wanted to be someone that people can come to for advice um, and someone that will listen to people. Um, even if I was terrible at it when I was a kid, um, I've always wanted to be that. Um, and it's something that I've actually had to work a lot at uh, learning how to do, how to kind of, uh, how to really listen to people and how to guide people properly. Um, so I think that that filters through a lot into into my relationships with the people that I that I work with, the people that I coach. Um, in that, I would always rather uh, I would always rather be there to guide someone in a more gentle way or in a more um, empathetic way or empathic way, um, rather than be a kind of rule with an iron fist type coach, which I don't think works in esports anyway. Uh, I don't think that coaching style works at all in esports because players aren't expendable in esports the same way that they are in traditional sports. You can't just like go and bench your players. It doesn't work. There are lots of teams that have tried. C9 is basically the only example of a team that, that has actually had success benching players. Yeah. Um, but do you think um, that that's? I think fun- because of that, I, I want to like quickly uh, change here because I think that's an important topic. Do you think that this idea of not being able to rule with an iron fist has more to do with the way that teams are set up? Because C9 specifically set up kind of for that versus because like if you don't have anyone to bench a player and replace them with you can't really do that style can you like that's like the fundamental crux is if you don't have a replacement that style will never work so is it is it really that it doesn't work or is it that just teams aren't set up to do it um i think it's a potentially a bit of both i mean it can work right c9 made it work somehow but i think the level of investment that you need to put into it in terms of um, a the, the like just the raw salaries that you need to go and invest into your players to go and get ten players who you think yeah. are all capable of playing on your main team and it persuade those players that they would rather be on your academy team than on somewhere else. Like unless they unless you have amazing scouting and they're players that no one else believes in, which I can believe when it comes to C nine because no one else seems to like American players. But hey, um, the other thing is that you have to have an enormous amount of investment in coaching for in order to make that work because they have to be you have to be running like a, a two-tiered system, which is the same on both levels um, and which is interchangeable between the two. And the big reason why I think there's a an inherent difficulty in subbing players in League of Legends is because of how delicate team chemistry is yeah. um, and how specialized players can be. You look at some of the most successful players in the world, you look at, go and look at Hillisang. Like, it's not like Hillisang plays that many champions. He's just a 10 out of 10 on like five of them, you know? Um, and that's something that, that balance of how that interacts with your lane partner if you're a support player or how that interacts with your jungler or how that interacts with the draft or how that interacts with the team compositions that you're able to play or whatever unique skill sets that you have because those those champions that that a player like, I don't know, Hillisang, whatever, is is really good on are a reflection of his personality. They're a reflection yeah. of his, I don't know, decisiveness or his aggression or his adaptability or whatever it is or like, you know, what specific skill sets he has. Um and like removing that skill set from a team can completely break it because you might just rely on that person for that one thing. You know, you might be the initiator, the engager of your team. Um, and suddenly you take away that person for someone who's equally mechanically good with, you know, a more versatile champion pool or whatever it is, whatever other qualities you th- might think are looking for, or you bench the guy because, you know, there are problems with the team and he's, he's not pulling his way or he has an attitude problem, whatever it is. Um, and suddenly, like you, your team just looks like it looks wrong. Like it, it looks indecisive. You have no one to pull the trigger. You don't have like that X factor that you used to have before. You're not on the same page because some people are going in and some people are going out. Like yeah. it, it's so delicate the balance that exists in team chemistry in League of Legends that I think it's very, very hard to be able to have that kind of ten man system without having 
like such an unbelievably integrated system with like a, a really flawless approach from the coaching staff that's like tailored to them. And I think you have to have so many coaches to make it work that it's almost just not worth the investment. Uh, that's what I was going to ask you is, do you think the investment's even worth it? Because it doesn't sound like it would be really. Like I, I, there's, I, I feel like from what we know about esports, most teams aren't making a like, they're not like raking in like dollar dollar bills here. Like they're not, a lot of them are like, breaking even some are making a little bit of profit but i can't imagine doing a system that cost like what sounds like functionally twice as much as just a normal team because you need twice as many parts um at least twice as much yeah at least twice as much and, and then you have to sub in like you have to factor in the the like the actual cost to your development as a team of subbing someone in and out because like that there is nothing worse for your team's development than subbing someone in and then two weeks later subbing them out like yeah. you just lost two weeks um and that's something that I think teams really fall into the trap of. Do you remember uh, Longju in Korea had this like insane 10-man roster? They had like uh, Frozen and Coco and Flame and Expression and someone else. They had like all these insane players and they spent the whole split just subbing in and out and in yeah. and out and in and out and in and out. And by the, end of the, by the end of the year, they were just as much of a mess as they were at the beginning because mm -hmm. they, they hadn't formed a clear identity. And the, like I think having a clear identity as a team in League of Legends is... is so 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 important like that's i think the most important thing to, to, to as a team because league of legends is all about like pattern recognition and it's about yeah. being comfortable inside those patterns and you have to drill until you are a 10 out of 10 on your specific plays on your specific patterns that you recognize on your playbook right yeah um and that playbook is vastly different depending on what champions you're playing, what style of team you are, which players you have in the lineup, how like who is communicating what. It's so, so different. And I think it's so hard to specialize when you have a big roster like that. Mm -hmm. Kind of looking at that then, this kind of brings up an interesting dynamic that I don't know if a lot of coaches really talk about is that the level of um, control a player actually seems to have, right? Because if you can't sub anyone out, okay? If you can't do, like, if you really can't, because you will, you will functionally be disabling your team. Doesn't that mean that players have a significant amount of control over the team dynamic? Absolutely. Um, I think as a as a coach, you have to be aware of which players you kind of hand that control to. But like in in Mad Lions, at least we're we're a really horizontal structure. You know, I have the final call on everything. But like, if my players tell me. No, 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 like you're wrong here. Like you're wrong about this matchup. You're wrong about this draft, whatever it is. Like I'll trust them. Um, and that's a personal style thing as well as just what my belief about the way that you have to work in League of Legends is. Yeah. And that's why I say it's just not possible to do this like uh, iron fist type coaching style because like number one, League of Legends is complex enough that you as a coach have to admit that you do not know as much as your top laner about top lane matchups. Yeah. Like you just don't. Your top laner could be wrong. And you could be right about some things, but on balance, he knows more than you. Yeah. Um, and that's something you need to accept uh, to be, I think, a really like to, to get to a top level of coaching, like or top level of, in League of Legends, not of coaching. Um, but to get to a top level in League of Legends, you just have to trust your players. Um, so, yes, players have a lot of control uh, over League of Legends kind of teams in general. Um, is that a problem? Not necessarily. Um, because your job as a coach is to be there to guide them along and to tell them, okay, think about the consequences of this decision. This is what you want. Have you thought about this factor? Um, and I think my job is definitely much more that way. It depends on the players that you're working yeah. with, right? Some people need a firmer touch. Some people need more leadership. Some people need you to tell them, 
go and do this and everything will be okay. And some people need you to tell them, hey, watch out right now. I'm a bit worried about this because you have like a tendency to do this. And the result of that is this. So think about it. Think about how you're going to deal with it. You can deal with it in way number one, way number two, way number three. These are all things that you can do to counteract whatever like bad thing is happening here. Think about it. And then, you know, if they mess it up, then I'll be there at the end of the day to say, okay, this is what happened. This is why it messed up. This is like cause, effect, action, result. Here's what you should learn from it. And here's what I would do in the next time if I were you. You know, mm-hmm. and that's much more my function within the team than um than a real like, you know, I, I'm not yeah. like some macro strategy gods that, yeah. that is telling them what matchups to pick and things like this. Which right? I like, think is inc- I think it's incredibly important. I think uh a lot of people under I think managing people is like a head head coach's honestly biggest job. Like you need to be able to manage all the you need to put the parts in and then you need to manage those parts as best as you can. Um, and make sure that they're all function like the the machine is working together because if one cog breaks the entire thing breaks um and that's just an incredible amount of like knowing people um and working with people one of the things i want to ask you though is i and I, maybe this is a lot of like reddit mind mentality which i think is fucking terrible uh, but one of the things this is uh like they always go to blaming coaches and kind of the reason i wanted to bring this out is i think it's incredibly hard to actually default blame it just in the way that the system works overall because of how much um like power a player might have versus how much uh, power a coach might have how do you feel about that like uh like how how do you attribute blame or uh like this is the fundamental problem so i mean i think that blame is a really dangerous concept for any sports team to actually engage with at all because it takes responsibility off of everyone. I much prefer the word responsibility. Okay, well, um, how do you put the majority sure. of responsibility? I will. I am okay correcting that. How do you? How do you like leverage out that that level of responsibility? Um. So personally, I think that as an individual inside a team, if you want to be the best at anything, the only way that you can go about doing that, uh, and this is why I don't like like talking yeah. about blame, is by taking responsibility for absolutely everything that you possibly can. Yeah that went wrong in order for you to learn from it next time because like looking at other people's mistakes doesn't help you it doesn't help you be the best it doesn't help you get better it doesn't do anything right you can be realistic about the situation and you can talk about it in in terms of okay this is what we need to learn from this this is what went wrong for this guy here's how he could have done better here's why i can learn from it here's how i could help him in the future or whatever it is right um but i think taking responsibility like it's just everyone's job in the team to take responsibility as much as they can and mm-hmm. as as a teammate you learn very quickly which of your teammates are and aren't taking responsibility um and that's something which is incredibly important if you want to really step up and become the best version of yourself and if you want to become someone who's respected and someone who's able to lead their teammates and in league of legends if you cannot lead your teammates at least to a certain extent you cannot be a good player you cannot be a world-class player you can be a good player you cannot be the best if you cannot lead your teammates um and that's all there is to it so for me it's all about taking responsibility um as the head coach i will always take full responsibility for everything that is my job at the end of the day um like when people are throwing around blame towards my players my job is to put my hands up and say this is my fault and this is what i should have done better Mm -hmm. to to make it to make it work um and that's also because the players are in much more spotlight than i am in general right um it's easy to blame the coach the coach is like behind the scenes i think it doesn't really matter who gets to blame their job too i think it's a very uh, important job yeah for sure Um, but there's always a different story 
externally versus internally. And personally, I just don't look at any of that stuff. I'm sure some of my players do. Um, but at the end of the day, it's all just about responsibility, right? So um, internally, our narrative will always be what I described earlier, right? Here is what went wrong. Here is what you could have done yeah. to make it better. Here is what I should have done. Let's learn from this. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's that's the end of the story, you know? And realistically, as long as it's literally not like, you know, your last ever tournament or your last chance to to do something, then there will always be a chance to improve from it and learn from it. Yeah. And even if it is, like, that's the great thing about competing uh, in general is that it forges you into a better person and you'll take a lot of lessons away from a, from a very short League of Legends career uh, into your adult personal life yeah. about how to be a better person. Um, so it's all about learning for me. It's all about self-improvement. Um, and the way to do that is by just taking responsibility for yourself. And if you focus on other people's other people's shit, frankly, that's a really good way to get anxious and depressed and lose control over your own life. Because like, if you focus on all of the other things that are outside of your control, like that just sucks. That's just a yeah. victim like place to be in, right? You're just going to feel like you're not in control of your own life. Yeah, hundred percent. One of the things I want to ask you is you have a, I would say a very unique personality um, in the way that you'd like to handle players and that your philosophy about this, does that mean that there are some players that you literally just can't work with? Are there certain players that you know they will not fit inside the kind of coaching structure that I like? Possibly. Um, so as a, as, as the head coach, it's also my job to understand what my limitations are yeah. and what I need in terms of support, right? So maybe there are players that I wouldn't be able to work with. Um, for example, a player who needs a very confrontational style, which do exist, right? Yeah. Um, some players need to be bashed over the head and told, shut up, you did this wrong, go and do it better next time. Um, and they will respect you for that. And I've had players in the past who have decided that I wasn't worth their time because I wasn't willing to bash them over the head and tell them they're an idiot, frankly. Um and that's something that I can either just accept and not work with them. It's something I can work on myself. It's possible that I can learn to do that. You know, that's part of being a good coach is being yeah. able to be flexible. Um, or I can supplement that with the rest of my staff, right? I can have someone else who's willing to do that, which is why, for example, Duke and I were such a good team because Duke was the bad cop and I was a good cop. Um, and that's something that worked very, very well for us and why we were able to get the best out of so many different kind of personality profiles of players. Um, but definitely it's a big thing that I look for that someone is, is the right kind of culture fit for our team. Mm-hmm. Um, and for my style personally, and for me, culture is really, really important. Mm-hmm. Can you, can you like describe the type of player that wouldn't fit inside your system? Like this player definitely wouldn't. You don't have to give me specific names, obviously, because that, yeah, yeah, yeah. that would be pretty. But like, describe the person. I'm not going to go that far. Like, hey, what's what's the, what are the list of players that you absolutely will not work? No, just your personality. Right, so, traits. list of players that I hate. Yeah. Number one. <laughs> um, honestly, I don't think there are that many people um, that I wouldn't be able to work with because I feel like that's my job as a coach, right? Yeah. Is and if if I'm not able to go and work with that person, then in theory, if I'm good enough at my job within a year, I will figure out how. Okay. Um, there are certainly things that are that I'm worse at. That the confrontation is the biggest one. Is yeah. a player who is really confrontational and needs to be told, like, no, you're wrong. Someone who needs a really, really strong, firm approach because that's just not me. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, apart from that, that's that's pretty much it. Um, I don't really think there's any other particular personality profile that doesn't that just doesn't work with me. Um, obviously I have my likes and dislikes. Yeah. Uh, there are things that are 
important to be a pro player, but that's just more about what it takes to be a, a champion, right? Rather than what it takes to work like with me specifically. Yeah. Um, things like taking responsibility, things like how much drive a person has to actually win and like work ethic and stuff like this, right? But those aren't specific to me. Mm-hmm. That makes sense completely. So at what point do you think, uh, kind of growing up, you're in college and you're playing World of Warcraft, League of Legends, right? What point are you like, you know what I want to do with my life? I just want to be a pro League of Legends coach. Because <laughs> that's got to be an awkward conversation to have. I didn't actually... Hmm. So I watched a lot of League of Legends when I was... How old was I? 20, 21? Like yeah. from, from probably like 18 to 21, I watched a lot of League of Legends. I like devoured every like League of Legends analysis talk show, like Summoning Insight, all of these types of shows. Um, absolutely devoured all of them, watched everything. I watched every region and like broke all of them down myself and like tried to learn as much as possible just because I'm a bit like that as a person. I'm really obsessive and quite perfectionistic. Like when I get really obsessed with something, I, I just do that, Yeah. Uh, which is why World of Warcraft was a uh, like, which, which is why I have like over a year logged on World of Warcraft, you know, <laughs> like, um, so I think, so I basically in my second year of university. So I was 19. Uh, I got a wrist injury. Um, I used to be a juggler. Uh, I used really? to be really into circus stuff. Yeah. Yeah. We're into circus um, stuff. That's yeah. Yeah. Why uh, does one get into circus stuff? Like, Oh, you know what I want? I want to join a circus for like, where, where did that come from? Um, so I, I learned to juggle just off a, a school friend of mine when I was quite young, when I was like 11 or 12. Yeah. Um, and when I went to uni, uh, I remember there, there was a circus society there. And I remember that one day I was heading out to a festival and I grabbed my old juggling balls because I thought that's a, that's a thing to take to a festival, right? That's a fun thing. Um, and I just went around and juggled a bit and whatever. And I got such an amazing response from people. Like I made so many friends of people just coming up and being like, cool. Um, and that's pretty much what circus is. It's like a really good way of, of <laughs> making friends for socially awkward people, to be honest with you. And also like mastering a craft and perfecting yeah. it is very much me. Like I'm really obsessive when it comes to like, I find a new thing that I want to learn and I go and learn it like nonstop. Um, so circus became my obsession for like a year when I realized there was a circus society at my uni. I remember walking into the first session and there's a guy there, like there's one guy on a unicycle juggling a bunch. There's one guy like juggling seven clubs in the air. Like later found out he's like a, a literal world record holder. Um, one of the first person, like one of the first people to do like certain tricks, like he invented certain tricks in wow. the book for like top tier jugglers now. Um, turns out Leeds is a really insane place for circus. So I went to university. Um, and all just like the university circus society, you know? Um, so I was really, really, really lucky to just run into all these insane people who taught me loads of stuff. Uh, and I spent a year like tryharding juggling for my life. Um, and eventually ended up, uh, so I was like hardcore raiding on WoW. I was juggling nonstop. I was going to the gym five times a week. I was doing martial arts. I was doing swimming. I was doing handstands. I was doing basically everything that, that you can possibly do with your hands. Uh, and I ended up getting like a, a really bad case of tendonitis uh, in both hands, in both sides, which is not that common as far as I'm aware. Um, so like here, yeah. here, here, and here. Um, and I've, kind of been out of action with my hands ever since to be honest with you um so i still have a lot of problems with uh is there any with, like surgery or anything you can do for that uh 
So it's a very poorly understood topic, uh, and surgeries are incredibly risky and not that successful, generally speaking. Um, I've had cortisol injections in my arms. I've had every possible, I've had hundreds and hundreds of hours of physiotherapy and osteopathy and stuff like this. Um, so it's kind of just something that I carry with me and that I, uh, that's, that's the wrist have one, to right? work at. Right. Like it hurts your wrist a lot, but it's due to the tendons that are leading down to your. Yeah. Yeah. So my, so my dad had it in both arms too. He actually did surgery. So really? actually, yeah, it worked out well for wow. him, but he, cause oh, he, wow. his, his arms were falling like his, his hands would like fall asleep and stuff too. Like all the time. Really? Yeah. Wow. So I was like, so, yeah. yeah. But now that's uh, awful. Basically, I've had like uh, like ten like re- like so the way that you rehabilitate tendonitis is like really slow and steady, right? Yeah. You like build up gradually with weights and like do st- do little bits of exercise and stuff like that. And I've had like ten separate attempts where I've like rehabilitated, 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 got to a good point, done something really stupid, and fallen back to zero. Oh. Um, and it's happened a lot of times. Um, and uh, essentially every time it's happened, my body has become a bit more sensitive and my mind uh, very often tells me now that I'm in pain when I shouldn't be um, or is like, stop doing that, it's going to hurt. Stop doing that, it's going to hurt. Stop doing that, stop doing that. Um, So a lot of the time, I mean, I'm in in a pretty good place right now. I have a good handle on it. Um, it's def- it's not like perfect, but it's manageable for sure. Um, but I've been su- been through some pretty dark places when it came to you know even doing really menial tasks like you know folding clothes, making the bed, whatever. Where I would be in a lot of pain. Um, so yeah, that's uh, that's can been I, a unique journey. Can I ask you about that journey a little bit? Because that sounds like something that would be well mentally debilitating. Like you have this thing that you love to do. You love to you love doing circus stuff. You're working on all these different things. Um, you're working out and then all of a sudden in like almost a blink of an eye, it's all gone. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and well, that's the reason why I got into coaching in the first place is because, uh, I lost a lot of friendships from not doing those activities with them. Um, so like, you know, juggling, I no longer went to juggling practice anymore, which I did three times a week. Um, raiding, I stopped raiding. So I lost contact with a lot of my world of Warcraft friends, my league of legends friends, stuff like that. Um, and the reason that I got into coaching in the first place was that a really good friend of mine, uh, called Alex, who I, who I still talk to a lot. I'm like, he lives in Berlin. So we see each other a lot. Actually, he's one of my best friends now. Um, he was like, Hey dude, I miss you. Why don't you come and coach our league of legends team? Um, and that's how it started. Uh, so I coached them for like, I don't know, a few months and then like, you know, eventually we stopped, uh, and, but I didn't have anything else to do. I wasn't playing. So I figured that I would go and try and do this. Um, and I ended up in my final year of university coaching a South American team, uh, from Latin America South, um, from my bedroom in Leeds at like four o'clock in the morning, because obviously there's a time Time difference. Um, so and yeah, they ended up qualifying for the Challenger Series in Latin America South. Um, and that was kind of the the start of it. And from there, I went on to uh, a UK team. Like I, I finished university. Uh, I almost dropped out of university because I was so depressed about my arms being yeah, I was gonna uh, ask messed you, up. Like, was there like depression or anything going through? Were you just oh, like, absolutely. What, what did that look absolutely. like for you? Were you just in your room all the time, not doing anything? What did it look like? Yeah. I mean, that's kind of the problem is that so much of my life and so much of my social life, like all of my social life was based on doing stuff with people, whether it was gaming or juggling or whatever it was. Um, so I became really disconnected from a lot of people, um, and really afraid of doing anything. 
really afraid nonstop uh, being afraid of whatever it was. And I would have these huge kind of internal battles and conflicts in my head of, should I do this? And should I do that? And no, it's going to hurt. No, it'll be fine. And then I would do it. And then I would like overdo it because I'd be trying to overcompensate. And then I would hurt myself. And then I would beat myself up internally for being stupid to go and do this type of stuff. So a lot of, uh, yeah, a lot of, a lot of internal battles with that. Um, Thank God I had the support of uh, of Mary. We were yeah. together at the time. Um, she did an incredible amount for me, and also um, also Jake, uh, the now performance manager of Mad Lions. Uh, actually, um, he is an osteopath by trade. We met through the Circus Society, um, and he's one of the people that's helped kind of guide me through the whole process because he also had a life changing injury mm-hmm. when he was young. Um, so actually, that's where kind of a lot of the strongest relationships I have come from now with Alex, my friend who got me into coaching and Mary who gave me so much support, Jake who like treated me and has kind of guided me the whole way. Um, and a lot of the people that I, that I have the closest relationship with at work now are the people that I know will take care of me and the people that I know are considerate and think yeah. about my problems, right? Like till our manager, like, I know that he will always take care of me. And that's one of the reasons why I, I like, I, I want to work with my manager till, but as long as I work in league of legends, because he, I know that he will take care of me and I know that he understands my problems and they'll have my back. And I know that he's thoughtful about them. So that's, uh, it's been hard, but I think it's, it's also taught me a lot about myself and about a lot of the deficiencies I have, even socially, like asking people for help has been such a big process for me. Um, because I think that's very much the kind of father figure I have is someone who is just nonstop working, always fixes everyone else's problems, doesn't ask for help, doesn't, you know, reach out or open up that much. My father is an incredibly stoic person, you know, the type of person that never complains about anything. Um, And understanding that it's okay to ask for help and it's okay to be sad and reach out and open up. um, That has been really really a big a big part of the journey for me that's really hard to learn like i am suffer i'm still someone who suffers from that i hate asking for help um it's something that i've had to work on too like and i, I actually shot my fingers off in a snowblower um which is dumb yeah they're all they're all gone oh, oh so. wow yeah um so uh, but i remember like when you're it's like there's no option you have to ask for help like there's just a certain point where i'm like sitting there like crippled and stuff like that um, and in pain all the time. And it's a weird experience when you don't have an option and you need to ask for help. Um, And it it humbles you, I would say, um, because you realize that you you can't do everything on your own, which I think is a good thing to learn, right? And I think especially in your industry, like that you shouldn't, you shouldn't need to do everything on your own. And finding out these people that you can rely on, I think is a very powerful tool in esports. Because um, I feel like a lot of esports feels very um, individualized, where it's about yourself and you're playing this huge game because it's so hyper competitive that the only person you can really worry about, and I think a lot of people fall in this trap of, is that the only person you can worry about is yourself because otherwise you might not have a job. So I think that's a very good, that, that team dynamic, it makes me warm and fuzzy inside. So I like it. <laughs> it's good. You, you made me warm and fuzzy. It's good. Um, I also think it's a, a unique experience. Uh, I don't, I don't know if you feel the same way. Do you think that your guys's approach is a very unique comparative to a, a lot of other teams? Cause I feel like that's not something you hear about like 
that often. You don't hear people say, wow, you know who I, re I really rely on my manager. I really rely on these other people and I appreciate it. It doesn't feel like you see that that often. Yeah. I mean, I think, I think that we, because of, because of partly because of the person that I am, I have such close relationships with a lot of the people that I work with. Um, you know, I've already mentioned Till and Jake yep. and Peter, who has been like kind of my, my coach and mentors for the last three years. Like we're all really, really close. Um, and we all trust each other and rely on each other for a lot of things. And I think that that trickles down, you know, um, as a kind of culture. Right. And yeah. I think that as, as the, the head coach, that is your job is to set the culture. Mm -hmm. And that's something that I've, I really, really cared about this year is setting a culture where people are, are able to support each other and able to be open about their problems. And, you know, it's not perfect, but I think that when you have a bunch of 18 year old, well, 18 to 21 year old kids, um, that's so important that they're able to actually reach out for, for help and open up and, and trust you and feel listened to and all of those things. So um, I think that that's a big part of what makes us good as a, as a staff and as a team is setting that, that, uh, that example by, you know, by yeah. yourself leading by example, when it comes to that of showing that it's, it's okay to, to be sad and it's okay to talk about your feelings and it's okay to rely on other people. And, um, kind of promoting that type of relationship with each other. Looking at your hand injury, is there ever times where it still holds you back? And does it ever, do you ever get like a, a vast amount of frustration when that happens? Because I, I can imagine like maybe one day you need to get work, but you're in a vast amount of pain. Um, so I still don't juggle. I still don't play video games ever yeah. anymore. Um, the uh, To use a computer, I use a lot of assistive software. Yeah. Um, I don't type, I dictate everything with a program called Dragon. Um, so you speak into the mic and it types for you. Really mm -hmm. good. Um, and for the mouse, I have a thing called Smile Mouse, which literally tracks, like it uses a webcam to track your face uh, and then it clicks when you smile. Um, I don't use it. Uh, my hands have gotten a lot better in the last year. So now uh, I can hold a mouse, no problem. Um, but clicking is actually like the, the repetitive action of clicking is the thing that hurts. So I just use the mouse software on a setting where um, basically I can move the mouse around and if I like just hover the mouse over somewhere, then it will click. Um, so that means there are a lot of, uh, there are a lot of pitfalls with that. Like there's a lot of programs that the, the software just doesn't work with. Yeah. It doesn't work with league of legends. It just doesn't funk like register clicks on league of legends. Uh, so I'm reliant on other people for a lot of things. Um, so I don't do any of the, like controlling the PC in reviews at work. Uh, actually our, our strategic coach cast does that for me. Um, who I can't believe I haven't mentioned Cass actually, but he's also great. Um, he, yeah. So in, in the reviews, you know, I, <laughs> I'm, I'm there say, Cass, can you go to 2430 in the review? And we'll talk about this point, you know, and he does, he does everything for that. And he's, he's my hands at work in a lot of ways, because there are, there are challenges when it comes to using a program like, like this to control a PC around a bunch of people. It's not designed for that. Like, you know, if you're looking at a League of Legends game and you're in the in-client replay and, and I move my head to look at someone and the mouse moves and the screen moves and, it, and it's a mess, right? Um, so there's a lot of things or like typing when there's other people around. Like that's something that I've had to get over a bit, but I'm still pretty shy about like saying, you know, like yeah, talking to my a, computer to type out everything. Email that you have to yeah, have. yeah. It's like, so th there, are, there are restrictions. Um, so I'm really... Uh, do you get really frustrated with that at times? Is there ever times you're like, wow, this is, I'm just fucking tired of this. I mean, 
How can you not? Like that's that's what I, I guess that's a better question. How can you not be frustrated all the time? Uh, I don't know. I guess it's I guess it's it's so normal to me that I don't even question it anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, for sure, it's it's annoying. Um, but more than anything, it's like I, I actually don't think it, it. It's not that I get frustrated with it. It's more that I get anxious about it. That's the problem. Okay. Um, like I don't know. What if uh, like everyone is sick, right? Like what, what if my assistant coach and my strategic coach are both sick and no one is in work? Like who the fuck does the review, right? That That's something that scares me actually um, because I know that then I will be like in this battle inside my head of you're going to be fine, you're going to be fine. Like just just do it and get over it. And But also like, hey, there's going to be knock-on repercussions of this tomorrow and the day after and you're going to feel like shit after this um, because you did a bunch of stuff, right? And that's that's also why I said what I said about Till because I know that like Till understands these things and I know that he will like in that situation, he'll drop what he's doing and he'll come and help mm-hmm. um, because he's not the type of person that would ever sit there and, and let me suffer. He, that's just not in his character. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's why, that's why I've surrounded myself with the people I have. And I think that without like... Like I've gotten a lot of credit this year for a lot of the good things yeah. that Mad Lions have done. Um, and I think that actually so much of that is just because I have the right people around me. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think I'm doing anything like a revolutionary. I think I'm doing like the the basics well. I think I, I understand League of Legends well and I'm like above average good with people um, and that, you know, we look after our players' mental health, right? Like, I think we do the basics correctly, but most of it is that we're a good team together as a staff. I want to, I want to, I want to hit back on that a little bit. Okay. You say you're not doing anything revolutionary, but your guys' team is almost set up in a longer term mindset, like almost by whether or not forced that you have to, you need people who you can rely on. So you have to think about longer term. Um, And I think that that actually might be the uniqueness with Mad Lions is you're kind of forced to have people around you who you can trust, which a lot of it means that you're you're forced to have people around you who you know very well, which means that there's a level of, I would say, nothing is really secure, but there's a level of security of the fact that um, you guys want to work together and you want to stay together. And it, it doesn't sound like like you would just up and leave for a, a team that just paid you a ton of money because there's so much other value there that you have that is like non-monetary, right? Maybe that's it. Maybe. I mean, like during during the off-season last year, I had the option to to stick together with Duke. And, and like in the previous year, we had interviewed for everywhere together. Yep. Duke and I were going to be a, like a, a duo. Um, and the reason that I stayed on Mad Lions is, is because Peter was like, dude, come on, like this is your home. Yeah. Like, stay here, like, do not leave. Um, and that's the reason I, and also because of Till, you know, Till, Till turned around and said, hey, I could have gone elsewhere as well, but I wanted to stay to be with you guys um, because we're a good team and that's why I stayed. Um, so yeah, for sure, like that that has given us a lot of stability um, in that, you know, people don't want to leave when, when they've worked with us. Um, and that's really nice. Um, so... I pray to God that we stick together for a I long was, time. I was going to say, like, that's got to be scary, though, every year or like as you're losing parts, because I think Peter recently announced that he will uh, he yeah. will not be with Mad yeah. Lions. So you're losing part of your puzzle, uh, which has got to be. Does that does that scare you, like losing that part that you've relied on so much? Absolutely. I mean, I, I've never worked in the LEC without Peter. This will be the first year that I've worked at a high level without Peter. And Peter has always been there to reassure me and to comfort me and to give me a pat on the back after things have gone to shit and be like, don't worry, you're doing a good job. You just need to do this better next time. And that's not something that you have 
that you're lucky enough to have as a head coach in many situations, right? Yeah. You look at so many other head coaches in the industry. I think of someone like Galoto, who has like gone it all alone. Like he's achieved a lot. And he's he's basically done it like from a rookie straight into like the head coach position. Just and he's made all of his decisions and gone through all of his struggles like basically alone, you know. Um, he's had a lot of trouble with like surrounding himself with good people. And I think he's got really unlucky when it comes to like, you know, having the right uh, coaches or managers or whatever around him. Um, at least the, the ones that like fit the best with him. Yeah. Um, and I can't imagine how hard that is actually. Um, so yeah, for sure. Next year, like finding someone that will provide at least some of what Peter has been providing is going to be really hard, but actually like next year, his responsibility will fall to me. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm going to have to be the one that like gives even more of my own energy and my own personality and my own emotional stability to support others. Uh, and that's, that's a burden for sure. Yeah. That's, that's such a, it's such an awesome dynamic to talk about that. Like, I just find it so fascinating, um, probably because I have a psychology degree. Um, <laughs> it's probably all it is. Um, but I think it's uh, it brings up uh, kind of an interesting topic. Um, obviously, you had come back from Worlds, um, which was not the, not the, the bittersweet. We talked about it a little bit earlier. Um, one of the things I wanted to ask you is almost on uh, team dynamics. Okay, so you look at, uh, you can look at NALCS, you can look at LEC, um, and... I've always had this question, how much do teams focus on winning their their split finals versus actually competing in Worlds? Because I think that's a very, almost like unique question. And I think that when you get to um, what players are being picked up, what people are focusing on, how much do we want to focus on new talent? I think that really the crux of the issue is, is are we focused on winning our region or are we actually focused on uh, winning Worlds? Um, and someone like G2, I think is probably more focused on doing well in worlds um, as well as winning. But I feel like their ultimate goal is how do we place better in worlds? I mean, in other teams uh, for like NA teams, like frankly, I think they're more concerned about winning splits than they are necessarily doing well in worlds, Um, which I mean, there's a lot of reasons that could be why, uh, like as far as like media cost versus the reward of like how much brand recognition, all that stuff obviously plays a part into it. What What do you think though? What do you think teams are focused on? So I think that that is a management decision. Um, and that is a decision that is made based on what sponsors you have, frankly. Um, like sometimes your investors or your sponsors or whoever it is that pays your paycheck is going to care more about Europe versus an Australian or yeah. Vietnamese or whatever it is audience, you know, like the global audience that yeah. watches Worlds. Um, obviously going to Worlds is great. Yeah. Like everyone loves going to Worlds. No one's going to complain about going yeah. to Worlds. But to some people... Like if you take Mad Lions, like we're a Spanish brand, right? Yeah. And the Spanish market is is really important to us. Um, and so having the opportunity to win a European finals um, and kind of connect with the Spanish audience on that level is something that's really, really, really important to us as a brand um, because of the nature of the brand itself, right? Yeah. Where there are plenty of other brands who are not so kind of nationalized as we are and who are more international a brand like G2, right? Yeah. Um, so I think it depends a lot on your brand and your sponsors and, and less in on the actual kind of performance stuff. Mm-hmm. So it, does that mean that Mad Lions is like going to Worlds is like an extra bonus? Like that's not really like necessarily your objective. Um, it's like, I mean, if you win, obviously if you win the finals and you go to Worlds, but it's more about winning the files necessarily than winning worlds. And doesn't that change the way that you pick up talent then? Um, uh, I think it's uh, like 
to, to be blunt with you, Mad Lions wants to do both. Okay. Um, now, like, I think winning Europe has to come before winning Worlds, yes, logically. Um, yes, logically. So for now, that is the goal. Um, and I think that does make a difference, right? Because our competitive lens is based around not who can we win Worlds with and who could, like, our, our competitive lens realistically is based around who can we beat G2 and Fnatic with. Yes. Um, and that's really important for us when it comes to picking up talent, right? Yeah. So the, our, our measure for picking up rookies last year was can this guy be better than Wunder, Jankos, Caps, Perks, Mickey X in two years' time? Uh, that was the question that we asked ourselves about every player that we hired. And if we thought the answer was no, then we cut that person off the list, even if they would be a great fit or even if they were super good now. Um, for us, it's about it's about the long-term development mm-hmm. um, and it's about hitting that absolute maximum ceiling, which means that we're willing to take more risks than other teams. Um, if we were willing to be, you know... Uh, if we were like happy with world qualification every year, then we would take fewer risks and we would have get more like stable veteran players. Yeah. Right. Um, but if you what, want to be I number one, you have yeah. to take risks. Yeah. Yeah. Cause I feel like if you, if you're trying to play for that bigger stage or playing to beat the, the teams that are up there, you have to take risks. I feel like there's no way around it. Um, and that's one, one of the things when you see people who pick up like veterans who have been team after team after team, that doesn't mean they're bad players. They're stable. You know what you're expecting. Um, and you have certain goals with that. And th- that kind of makes me wonder about something like North America, right? Is North America really focused on, because we import like everything almost, right? Are we really thinking of winning worlds or is it just about a split? Which I mean, I don't think either one of us can know, but I would like to know your opinions. Do you think, do you think NA really cares about winning worlds? Like just your opinion. I think it's... I mean, I'm sure there are some teams that that do, yeah. but I think it's potentially a bit disingenuous to say to to really either disingenuous or misguided, right? To be able to say that yeah. they really that you really 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 want to win worlds on NA because it's just not realistic at this point. Mm-hmm. Um, like, it's possible. I mean, I think Team Liquid can realistically make that claim because Team Liquid has sunk so much damn money into it that like you can't really question their commitment at this point, you know. Um, so, for sure, I mean, you can like. There's, there's no reason why you can't say that they don't want to win Worlds, whether or not it's likely or whether or not it's a good strategy is another yeah. question, right? Um, but you can't fault them for trying. Their strategy, what what do you think NA should do if they want to start to do better, right? Like, I'm slightly biased because I'm in North America and I would like to see North America do better. Um, I don't ever hold any high expectations. Um, but, um, you know, what, what do you think they can do? Do you think they need to take more risks on like uh, unknown talent? Because that's something that you don't really see a whole ton of NA doing. They always go for fairly known talent that is probably pretty pricey. Foster more homegrown talent. Um, stop importing so many coaches from other regions. Like I think the vast majority of coaches in NA are imports. Yeah. Um, or at least it's, it's starting to change a bit now, but in the last few years, the number of like Korean coaches that didn't speak English was just like ridiculous. Um and like obviously those coaches are going to have zero understanding of the local ecosystem right they're not going to know any good rookie talent they're not going to go and take a risk on a rookie like that because it's not even their server they'd like they don't know the level of the server right um, and if you're coming from the korean server and going looking at the na server like you're going to have very different expectations of what it is that you're looking for in a player when you go and pick them up right in korea it's easy if this guy is like top 10 in solo queue like that's a pretty damn good indicator whereas in na that's that's not the case um so that's number one thing. Um, rely on more homegrown talent and like stop being willing to import people because I think that like generally speaking, the type of people who are willing to be imported are 
like not that interested in in actually winning anymore. Like generally speaking, not always the case, right? Yeah. There, there's a good argument to be made that some people like imagine you're in Europe and you're sick of losing to G2. Maybe you go over to North America because you think you can win a championship there. Yeah. Um, and that's that's completely fair. And for those people, like there's absolutely no shame in that. Um, but I think generally speaking, like the the most driven and the most really hungry people will not go to NA anyway. Um, like there's a reason why you'll probably never see caps in NA because the guy doesn't care about money. The guy cares about winning in League of Legends. I mean, this is a like an assumption on my part, yeah. right? Maybe well in like however many years time when he's done everything, right? But until until the guy's literally won worlds, I can't see him going to to North America. I just don't see it for a guy like Caps. And that's an important distinction to be made. Um, I think there's also like a real lack of investment into the below LCS level infrastructure yeah. uh, in NA. Like there are like if you compare what we have in the European regional leagues to what NA has, it's just night and day. Like it's not even comparable. Like I think we must have like I mean we have like what six regional leagues at least I think that are six. like good. Um it's like there are more like minor ones, right? Like you have like the Balkan leagues and the Greek leagues and stuff like this. So you, you have a lot of regional leagues. Um, and I think I can think of seven or eight off the top of my head. Um, and like each of those leagues has like 10 teams and some of them have three divisions, right? Like you have like hundreds of teams, hundreds and hundreds of teams competing at a European regional level. And you just don't have that in North America. And Maybe you can say that's because of the player base being lower. I don't really know the statistics, to be honest with yeah. you. I don't know the numbers. Um, but there's certainly a very, very poor level I mean, we of could, play. We could pull from those leagues too, right? Like those are not exclusively... I feel like that's the thing is like NA could also pull from your regional leagues, to be honest, if they wanted to. Um, maybe they don't want to give up an import slot for it, but I don't know. It's just that that risk level there is what like I think of. was like, okay, maybe we need to take some risks on unknowns. So that's that's I don't know that's what it feels like to me. Perhaps, perhaps, but yeah, I think like the lack of a good academy system in NA really, really hurts. And mm-hmm. like the the players that you see people take risks on in academy and NA just blow my mind. Like, it's usually players who like you know this guy is is not going to go back to LCS, and even if he does, you know he's not going to win you a championship. That's for sure. Like, why bother? Just yeah. take a risk. <laughs> like, just go and take a risk on someone. And if they're shit, they're shit. Like, who cares? Uh, like, maybe you take a risk on five players and you find one that's really good and he ends up being the next Licorice or Fudge or whoever, right? Or the next uh, Blabber, right? Like, yeah. it doesn't matter. <laughs> like, that's that's the point of having an academy team. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's very weird. So, kind of uh, uh, looking uh, after that and looking at uh, Europe, do you think that scouting is an issue in general? Because I feel like this is something that uh, I don't know. Maybe European teams just are better at this. But I feel like scouting, I feel like is very misunderstood. And it, you guys have pulled a lot of talent. Um, you had a lot of rookies that you, pull, you pulled in. Um, do you, what do you think is the issue with scouting? Because you guys seem to do it well. Um, you guys have an understanding of, and I, don't, I know you don't want to tell any trade secrets, obviously. <laughs> that would be a very dumb thing to do. Um, though it would be very good for my views, probably. But... Uh, what do you think is the fundamental issue with scouting, if you think there is one? Uh, I think people have a really bad mentality towards it. The number of people that look at statistics just blows my mind. Um, like, I, I hate statistical comparisons of players. I think they're the most garbage, useless thing you can possibly do to look at a player. Like, you can, at best, understand what that player's role within the team is. Mm-hmm. Um 
like if you really, really study a team down to a very, very deep level, then statistics can help you. Like it's not always useless, right? But I think that the vast majority of statistical comparisons of players are incredibly overforced and kind of useless. Um, but to be honest, I, I can't really say that there is a secret to like scouting, at least like for me, it's it's honestly an eyeball test. I just kind of watch people play and I get a feeling and I go with the feeling and, and that's kind of it. Um, obviously, we do other stuff as well, right? Yeah. Like we actually interview people, which is something that uh, not everyone I, seems to do, believe pretty, it or not. I've, I've, I've not heard of that being a very common thing. I'm not going to lie. I mean, I don't know. I don't know. Like, Seems pretty basic. Yeah. I don't, it feels like a lot of the basics like that make seem like common sense don't get done in esports. Like... I hear Pretty about much. things. I hear about things, and I'm like, "This sounds like like." And maybe it's because I worked in the professional world, right? Like that's where I came <laughs> from. And it's like these. I'm like, this isn't like a new concept here. Okay, it's not like we're we're breaking the mold here with giving an interview or hell, even like burnout. When I hear people talk about burnout, it's not like esports was the first industry that had burnout, and it fucking <laughs> blows my mind every time someone's like, "Oh, this this magical concept of." Do you know that doctors burn out all the time? Like mental health, like this is something that has been happening for a long time. It's not unknown <laughs> or something fucking fabricated for your special little industry here. Uh, so I, I don't know. It's just so weird to me. Um, like some of these basic things that you could just literally look someplace else and you could find some of the solutions. So, and yep. it, it seems like a lot of it is, it's the devil's in the details, but it's basic. Like that's, yeah. that's it. Absolutely. And that's something that I think has been like actually really, uh, eye-opening for me being uh, like coming into the head coach role. And that's something that basically like this has been the kind of final step of the journey this year on my development as a coach that Peter has been kind of leading me through. And so much of the stuff that we talked about this year was how to be a good head coach. Yeah. Um, and basically all of my philosophy on on coaching comes from Peter. It's mm -hmm. we're really, really similar. We, we actually do personality tests in our team um, like with all the players that we that we interview and stuff like that. And like, Peter's like the most similar person to me in the whole database, um, which is pretty funny. Uh, and Arome, Peter and Arome and I are all very similar, interestingly enough. Interesting. Um, we have very similar personalities, apparently. Um, and yeah, like, actually, the most fascinating thing about this year for me in terms of my own development has been realizing that like, most of like looking elsewhere for inspiration. Mm -hmm. um, and that's something that Peter has helped me do a lot. Uh, Peter was a football coach for a, a while before and has this enormous wealth of knowledge about football coaching mm -hmm. um, and about the history of British football coaches in the Premier League. Interesting. Um, yeah. And uh, like actually a process that we went through this year was me going and looking at this guy and being like, hey, what about, uh, what about the Liverpool FC coach from 1998? And he'd be like, ah, yes, well, here you see, his philosophy on roster building was such and such, and, and that led to this and this, and uh, like, <laughs> it's fascinating. And that's something that has actually uh, driven me on a lot and inspired me a lot to some of the things that, that I've taken on board um, from people. And, and just studying, like, you wouldn't believe how, how few people just go and study other coaches from other sports or talk to other coaches from other sports. Um, it's, it's not rocket science, like you said, right? But it's, it's helped me an incredible amount. Yeah. I find it interesting because a lot of teams actually probably have access to some of those things, um, especially like their connections to like, I mean, uh, uh, football, soccer, football, um, or in America, American football, like we were connected with uh, like the LA Rams, the team that opened that, and we never talked to them. And I wanted to, it was just, it was not like 
it's like i don't know it's just you have these connections yeah yeah you have these connections (laughs) and this is something that should you should probably happen believe it or not my buddy i have uh i actually don't have i only have one more question for you um we've been here an hour and a half look at us go time flies I don't know if you enjoyed your time out here. If you did it, it's too bad. You were, you were kind of stuck here and it's almost <laughs> can't done. get it back now. Yeah, it's can't, gone. <laughs> can't, can't get it back now, buddy. Um, my last question for you, though, um, having had the experience uh, being on the show, I greatly appreciate you taking the time to uh, to come on this. I had a lot of fun. Um, if you could see anyone be on the show, having had the experience, uh, who would you like to see? And if you pick someone who I've had, I will let you know. Hmm. Oh, it, the only criteria is they have to speak English because it is the only language I speak because I'm American. Okay. <laughs> so, uh, Someone from esports is, is the it, ideal, it can right? Be, it can be from esports. It can be from content creation. It can be mostly entertainment. So I, I throw esports underneath entertainment to make my life easy. Um, so it can be streamers. It can be behind the scenes. It can be in front of the scenes. doesn't matter. Hmm. Hmm. So I think that in terms of coaching philosophy, aside from Peter, like there are obviously people inside Mad Lions who would be great, right? Yeah. Um, there's Peter who's fantastic, who's not in Mad Lions anymore. There's Jake, our performance manager, who'd probably be a good fit for this show. Um, but the person who I think aligns most to with me on coaching philosophy inside Europe that I know is Grabs. Uh, I have a huge amount of respect for Grabs. Um, so I think he'd be a, a great guy to get on. Um, and Grabs is also very much into his soccer coaching. Um, so he's someone that I've chatted to a bit a bit about it before, um, which has been really interesting. Awesome. Awesome. There's also well, Thorin. Thorin is, is really into uh, his um, real Thorin. world sports. I've met yeah. Thorin, yeah. I've, he's, I've... He, he's big into his uh, his kind of real world sports coaching things and he has really, really strong opinions on yeah. it. So he'd be a really interesting one. Yeah. That might uh, be a bit more difficult. I, I've, gotten, I've had Monty on here before. So Thorin is the... The next one and who i would like to eventually see on like that's like one of the the if i had to pick like a top 10 of people i want yeah. on here thorn is on the top 10 list absolutely um, so but i greatly appreciate you spending the time to be on here um i know you don't really do any stream or anything like that but if you want to do any shout outs you're more than welcome to have them otherwise i'll close out my show all good all good just uh as always, thanks to our to our fans. If you're watching this, if you've sat through an hour and a half of talking to me, then wow, that's really great. I appreciate you a lot. Um, it's been a fucking amazing year. Thank you so much for all the wonderful messages that people have sent to us and the players, and I hope that they keep supporting us. Awesome. Thank you so much for being on here. This has been the Minds of Media. My name is Blake Panashevitz, and until next time, I hope you guys all have a wonderful day.